Shall we just pray before I open the word? Lord, we ask your help this evening. Uh, we're in this mighty uh, series, Lord, about heaven and touching things, about glory land, the, 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 the place where we long to be. Lord, it's difficult, and yet, Lord, we thank you for your Bible, for the word of God, which gives us glimpses of the future delight. Oh, Father, help us now as we continue in this wonderful account of how a man on the crucified hill came to Mount Zion in a twinkling of an eye as his last breath left him. Help us now, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, so this morning we considered the comfort, didn't we, of that account. And I'm sure many of you have underlined that account in your own uh, Bible readings as being one of your favourites. Because it's so lovely, isn't it? So wonderful how a man on the end of his tether, at the end of his life, literally comes to meet life itself, isn't it? Wonderful. But this evening, uh, we hear from the lips of the king himself. So my text is uh, Gospel according to St. Luke, chapter 23. And looking at the second part... Well, verse 43, verse 43, and Jesus said to him, and like I said uh, this morning in the Greek, it's amen, amen. And the sayings of Jesus in John, well, you know, verily, verily, I say unto thee, amen, amen. It's that double amen, so it's definite. Amen, amen, today you will be with me in paradise, paradise. And that word stands out, doesn't it, in the whole account? Paradise. Those of you who are uh, into music, there's <laughs> um, a very popular song today by a British band called Coldplay. Now, my, I, I, you know, my music taste might not veer in that direction, but it's an interesting song and I'm not going to sing it, but the words go para, para, paradise, don't they? And the song talks about a girl who closes her eyes, I've got to get this right, in the stormy night and dreams of paradise, okay? Apparently. And in the song, the speaker portrays paradise as something unreachable, something completely impossible, and as something in the mind, in the mind, okay? This evening, I want us to ask, why does our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, when he is in the most unparadise of places, use this word? Why this word? We need to sometimes slow down as we consider these texts, because every word is there for a reason. Every word is the word of God. Why does he choose paradise, paradise? A word which captures, if you like, the song, the unreachable. A word that suggests the impossible, doesn't it? Paradise. And a word that stays in, in my mind anyway. I'm sure it stayed in your mind even as you've been thinking today. So let's take a journey tonight. We'll follow this word in the Bible uh, you know, we must realize that it's one of those words which transcends language in uh, the ancient world, okay? 
What do I mean by that? It's a traveling word. It's not, um, it's not just for one group of people, okay? It's originally, uh, I'm looking for Saeed, I can't see him. It's a Persian word, uh, 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 Iranian word, if you like. Um, but it's also familiar to the Hebrew and to the Greek. It's a word that everyone understands in the ancient world. And it's a layered word as well. The Lord Jesus doesn't just use this word because it sounds nice, okay? It's got a reason. So this evening, very briefly, uh, I hope, we'll consider the past paradise. I told you that we'd be frequenting Eden. We're going to zoom in a little bit further this evening at the past paradise. Then we're going to consider... I've got lots of P's for you note-takers tonight. The paradise post-mortem. So paradise after death. And then finally, if the Lord gives us time, and unless we are taken, we will consider the paradise promised. The paradise promised as well. So first of all, the past paradise. Like I said, paradise or paradisos is an old word. Iranian, Persian, talks about a high enclosure. Surprise, surprise, from our sermon last week. It talks about, well, it's in Nehemiah 2, verse 8, as Pardesh, the, the high garden of the Persian king. Uh, think of, don't think of the English country garden or even Butte Garden or even Roth Park in all its splendor. We're thinking of a royal park, all right? A royal park, a little bit like the hanging gardens of Babylon, a ziggurat, and it's full of trees. No wonder then that the Septuagint, which was a Greek translation of the Old Testament, uses this word to describe the Garden of Eden. The ancients loved this word because they... they, they when they organized their gardens, there was a flicker, wasn't there, of that perfection um, which had once been the norm. All the cultures and religions hark back to some past paradise. I was visiting um, with Keith in the hospital, and he said to me, they've got that bit of wilding in the middle, haven't they? And there is a charm with the, the pond in the middle, but around it, it gets a little bit chaotic, doesn't it? And we were thinking, hmm, I don't think Eden would have been chaotic. But the ancient church also loved the word because it emphasized that true life and safety can be found in fellowship with God back in that paradise where we spoke of last week. Listen to Alistair McGrath. The idea of a wall garden enclosing a carefully cultivated area of exquisite plants and animals was the most powerful symbol of paradise available to the human imagination, mingling the images of the beauty of nature with the orderliness of human construction. Think of the ziggurat. The whole of human history is thus enfolded in the subtle interplay of sorrow over a lost paradise. And if you go to Iraq today, and you look for that ziggurat or the hanging gardens of Babylon. It's just a mound, I think, just sand. 
the hope of a final restoration. You know, we watch our children play, don't we? And there's such innocence there. We can't go back to that, can we? Naturally. So much things have happened. Nature has done its toll, as it were. And I think God has put this notion of a past paradise actually in all of you. You know that this isn't it. You know that there was a design, a wonderful blueprint, as it were. I've got to be careful here. But we know that there was a past and it was good, wasn't it? We know that. The Lord said, God created the heavens and the earth and it was good. There's something in us that hankers after that goodness. I'm going to quote another song, but it's, for those of you who are new to the church, you'll be familiar with these songs. Yesterday, love was such an easy game to play. Have you ever looked at the words? Now I need a place to hide away. Oh, I believe in yesterday. Do you believe in yesterday? That's a Beatles song. Did you notice that third line? I need a place to hide away. Does that remind you of someone? Adam and Eve. Our parents hid, didn't they? They couldn't return to yesterday. But let's turn with me now to Genesis 2. Turn in your Bibles. We need to zoom in here. Because we've considered the high-low last week. That idea of the mountain of God being inaccessible. And us now being down below. But now let's take a zoom in. The first chapter of Genesis, you might think, why is it repeating itself? Well, that's a panoramic view. And then the writer wonderfully then zooms in in chapter 2 and 3. Look at verse 8 of chapter 2. The Lord God planted a garden. God is the gardener here. Eastward in Eden, which literally means pleasure. And there he put the man whom he had formed. The phrase planted a garden shows God's personal touch here, doesn't it? The Lord God planted the garden. He's the one who orders. He appreciates beauty, detail, order. Similarly, doesn't our Lord Jesus Christ in John 14 prepare a place for you? In my Father's house are many rooms, If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? It's a question, isn't it? You see, we learn a lot about the end by looking at the beginning. Look at verse 10 of Genesis 2. Moses speaks of a river going out of Eden, denoting height, like we said last week. But there's more here, isn't there? It's not just a garden. There's height. There's river. There's mountain. This talks of a land, isn't it? This isn't just Roth Park. If you want classical music, it isn't Percy Granger's English Country Garden. It's not even Delius's Paradise Garden. This is Louis Armstrong's What a Wonderful World, isn't it? It's, <laughs> we've got to get our perspective right. But that past paradise anticipates, doesn't it, a land, a real land, not something in the mind like that Coldplay song. The past paradise teaches this. 
if you notice, the Lord God planted the garden there. Adonai Elohim is used, the covenantal name of God. It suggests an intimacy between God and his creation, a lovely intimacy. And there was a covenant, wasn't there? Look at verses 16 and 17. I know I'm jumping a bit here. The past paradise existed for God's glory, and a covenant relationship existed in this same place. Look at, look at verses 16 to 17. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the ground you may freely eat, but to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. It's something we learnt in Sunday school, isn't it? This isn't just symbolism. Listen to Westminster here. The first covenant made with man was a covenant of works, wherein life was promised to Adam and in him to his posterity, to all that came after him, upon condition of perfect and personal obedience. And we've all failed there, haven't we? Two parties, like a marriage, Adam was given promises and conditions. Promises and conditions. If you fall, you will be cut off from the past paradise, as it were. He was disobedient, so we too are disobedient. Romans 5, verse 12. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, thus death spread to all men because all sinned. We know this. But that word paradise not only speaks of the past, does it? Thankfully, because what does Jesus say in our text? Today. Today. Isn't that wonderful? <laughs> Hallelujah for that, you know. It does not just speak of that paradise lost, as John Milton wrote. No, no. Our text says, today, today you shall be with me in paradise. So secondly, the paradise now post-mortem after we die. What comfort? What comfort, isn't it? The death is no longer that great divorce between man and God. For those who are in Christ Jesus, death is no longer uh, but a passage, isn't it? It's, yes, it's awful. Yes, it's punishment. But it is a passage into eternal life. And the grave is a place of sanctified rest. We're tired, aren't we, today? They say that the 21st century, we've never been more weary. Are you wearier tonight? Maybe you're weary of me talking, but maybe you're weary of life and all its cares. Come unto me, Jesus says, all you who labor. Why do we labor? Because we fell. Come unto me, Jesus says, all you who labor and are heavy laden under the burden of sin. And what does he say? I will give you rest. I will be your Noah. Rest, Noah. Noah's name means rest. I will be the one who takes you to the new earth. That new post-flood. What a picture that was of a future. But I'm jumping ahead of myself, sorry. The paradise post-mortem. Today, you will be with me in paradise. Adam and Eve's expulsion of Eden was terrible. But do you see God's 
God's grace here as well. For the Lord's people, death is a release, isn't it? From the evils of the world, as eternal life in a fallen creation would also mean eternal pain. Have you thought about that? If there hadn't been cherubim, if Adam and Eve had continued to live in their state, oh, God shows mercy. Death will be finally defeated when Christ returns. But until then, even the horror of death is paradoxically a gracious gift for the Christian. Is God kind? There's an immediacy here, though, isn't there? Look at the text again. Today you will be with me. And where will that be? You see, for the ancients, paradise wasn't just an allegory. That doesn't give much comfort, does it, if it's just an allegory? The people of God understood paradise as an actual place where God and his people live together, surrounded by beauty and enjoying great pleasure and happiness. When our Lord writes to the Ephesian church in Revelation 2, do you remember what he says to them? To him who overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life. Do you remember this next bit? Which is in the paradise of God. Of God. Trees in the Bible are often used to symbolize full life. A full, full life. Think of Proverbs 11.30 or Proverbs 21.21 which talks of righteousness as a tree. But more than that, in Eden, immortality was the gift, right, to anyone who regularly ate the fruit of the tree. Chapter 3, verse 22. It was a sign which pointed, didn't it, to a reality, a reality, like, like when we have communion, a sign. We still eat the bread. We still drink the cup. But the bread is not some magic bread, is it? Just like the tree was no magic tree. The sign of the tree of life points us to God, to God. But the way is now shut, though, isn't it? Like we learned last week. Cherubim. Guard the tree, like we learn from 2 Kings 19, verse 15, because that is where God is. He is enthroned, isn't he, between the cherubim. And yet we can't get there in our own strength. But Jesus is our way, like we heard about the ladder. You see, Eden, or paradise, was never destroyed, okay? What was destroyed was our ability to live in Eden. You know, whether the tree of life is present in paradise now, I'm not sure, all right? Many commentators differ. But we know that heaven is capable of containing something physical, isn't it? We learned this morning, Acts 1.11, that same Jesus which is taken up do you remember? This is good, isn't it? From you into heaven shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. Jesus isn't just some concept like the liberals will teach that's in each one of you. No, he's a man. He's a man. His humanity is highlighted in Hebrews too, isn't it? 
Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those, you here tonight, who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. And yet the man, there's a man in heaven tonight who has conquered death. He is your rest. He is your way. He is your truth. He is your life. He's your ladder. He's your gate. He's your Noah. Oh, I could go on. Listen to Mr. Steadfast from Bunyan. I am going now to see that head that was crowned with thorns and that face that was spat upon for me. I have formerly lived by hearsay and faith. That's you and me this evening, Christian. But now I go where I shall live by sight. Hallelujah. And shall be with him in whose company I delight. Are you excited? Because if you're not excited, I would start worrying. I would start questioning. The covenant breaker, Adam, loses the paradise for us. The covenant keeper, Jesus Christ, takes us with him to paradise. Isn't that great? But how is he with us there? Well, do you remember that old... Well, you don't remember him, otherwise you'd be very old. That old Puritan, Thomas Goodwin... And he spoke of Jesus as our covenant or federal head like a giant, didn't he? And you had Jesus on one side in his illustration. And then he had Adam on the other side of his illustration. Two giants. And around their sides, they had these great belts, didn't they? I remember hearing this when I was a little boy. And I, I could see the giants in my head. And around the belt, thousands of little hooks arrayed in rows and rows and rows. And upon the hooks were people dangling. And what happens when we believe in Jesus Christ? Where we are taken, aren't we, from Adam. We're unclipped from Adam and we're clipped onto Jesus. You see the relevance of that? You see the relevance of that for the dying thief? He's no longer doomed to die. He no longer loses paradise. But he's going with Jesus, isn't he? He goes to that better place. But this precious word doesn't just talk about the past or the present, my friends. It does talk about a future too. The paradise promised. But before we get there, which giant are you hooked onto? I'm speaking figuratively. Eh? Are you in Adam? Who will never, who if you're dangling from Adam's belt, as it were, this is a sign, yes? We don't, I'm not talking now about literally dangling on Adam, but are you in Christ? Because actually we are united to him. What a glorious doctrine that is, union with Christ. But there's a paradise promised as well. A kingdom involves a king, doesn't it? We learned that this morning. Uh, kingdom involves subjects, check, but the kingdom also involves territory or land. Scripture tells us that the coming kingdom isn't just a spiritual construct. That wouldn't be very, just, just that. Look, look in Revelation 5.10, we hear about the prospect of reigning again on earth. 
And you can see where the next sermons are going towards. We are pilgrims at the minute on this earth that is passing away, aren't we? As Christians, we shall be in heaven when we die. But the paradise promised is far better. Far better. The paradise promised we'll be pioneers and settlers on a new earth. Isn't that good? Why do I say that? Well, the Hebrew word eretz for land is used 2,500 times in the Old Testament. The importance of land for the covenant people was so important, wasn't it? Think of Abraham of old, the promises he was given. Listen to the word of God. For the upright, Proverbs 2, will live in the land and the blameless will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the land. Revelation 3, verse 12. I will write on him who overcomes the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down from heaven, from my God, from my God. We now, as new covenant Christians, are heirs to the promises made to Abraham. These promises centre, don't they, on possessing the land, the land. You see, after our bodily resurrection, the trumpet shall sound, the dead shall awake. We'll look a bit further next week into this, but we will have an inheritance, won't we? A physical inheritance. The new earth, you see, is the ultimate promised land. Do you understand that? We, we've got to get away from this idea that, um, oh, you know, when we die, that we just waltz into the new earth, as it were. No, no. That's, how, that's the promised land, the holy land, where all God's people dwell. It will be a better, a better paradise for God's people. You know, we read, we often, you know, it's tempting to read Revelation literally every line, isn't it? Like a Thomas Cook guide. The sea of glass, the streets of gold. But this is, a, just because they're metaphors, some of them, it doesn't mean that they're not real. It, it talks about a future that's indestructible, a future that is gleaming, a future that is calculably precious. The paradise promised, the new earth, the new earth will be a glorious place. Listen to Habakkuk. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Heaven and earth will come together again. And we will be communing with God in a fuller, greater way than our parents did in Eden. Listen to this. Since where God dwells, there heaven is. We conclude that in the life to come, heaven and earth will no longer be separated as they are now, but will be merged Believers will therefore continue to be in heaven as they continue to live on the new earth. Are you going to be there? Roman 8. You remember, it talks about the groanings, isn't it, of creation and the creature after this future. Are you groaning this evening? 
as to the location of the place, writes Hodge, in which Christ and his glorified spouse will hold their central home throughout eternity. Notice this. A strong possibility. There is mystery here, yeah? A strong possibility is raised that it will be our present earth, first burned with fire and then gloriously replenished. It won't be a whole other place. It'll be this earth, the land, the land promised to us years and years ago. This is the paradise promised that will be better than Eden. All of this is done in Christ, in our lovely Lord and Saviour, our great high priest and king, you see. He is the last Adam, isn't he? Our union with Christ reinstates us, doesn't it, as priestly kings. That, that job that Adam had to cover the earth with the garden, as it were. Christ reinstates us as priestly kings. Revelation 20, verse 6. Like we were always meant to be, and we will share with him that eternal Sabbath rest in the dwelling place of God like I said before, will you be there? Will you be there? Nevertheless, Peter writes, we according to his promise, look for new heavens and new earth in which righteousness dwells. No death, no cancer, no divorce or absent parents. Will you be there? Some of you might be asking, why did I do a series on heaven and not a series on hell? Well, I'll tell you why. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life everlasting. We do not look for or confess hell. Now, don't worry. I'm not denying hell. It is not an explicit part of the church's confession. We do not look for eternal punishment, do we? We are responsible to warn in the most serious and responsible manner, but it is not something about which we want to know a lot about. But heaven, on the other hand, is something that we want to know more about, isn't it? Non-Christian, another week is past. Another sermon on the future. Non-Christian, a week is not long, but tomorrow is going to be a very, very long time. Christian, the great doxology in Jude, which was preached about in Aberystwyth, you, do you remember what it says? Now unto him, the Lord Jesus Christ, the only way, my friends, this evening, there is no other way, there was no other good enough, now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To the only wise God, our Saviour, be glory and majesty, dominion and power now and ever. Amen. But non-Christian, have you ever considered that doxology if you're not born again? Let me read it to you. Fallen, full of fault, before the presence of his glory with exceeding fear. 
to the only wise God, our judge. This isn't just good works here tonight we're preaching. This isn't just a heaven we're preaching. I'm warning you about a future too in hell. We won't dwell there. But which category are you? Are you able to say unto him that is able to keep me from falling and to present me faultless? Or are you still fallen? Full of fault before the presence of his glory with exceeding fear. Why are you waiting? You remember in Narnia, when Puddleglum, I know some of you don't like Narnia, but I know more of you like Narnia, so I'm using a Narnia illustration. Puddleglum, in the land beneath the ground, he is told, I, I can't remember the details, there's a witch, isn't there, of some sort, and she, she tells the children and Puddleglum, there was never a Narnia. There was never a land above where the sun shone, Aslan, who, what, a lion, who, who is all in all to you, who you love, you've made it all up, you've imagined it. And do you remember what Puddleglum does? He's, he puts his hand in the fire, doesn't he? They're being enchanted. And he confesses Aslan, as it were. My friends, don't be fooled by the devil. He will want you to make, to want you to think tonight that this is the end, that you marry, you have children, that you go on holidays, that you go to Mallorca, or you go on the cruise, and then you go for another cruise, maybe, or, and then you come home, and then you eat and you drink, and then one day you don't think about that day because actually I don't believe it's going to happen. I, I keep telling myself that, and then you're before your judge. Don't believe that lie that that's it, that that's it. It is appointed man once to die, and then the judgment. Another week has passed, another opportunity. Will I see you there? Will I see you there where the unnumbered throng extol the death of Calvary in heaven's unending song? And you don't blame them, do you? singing about our lovely Lord Jesus Christ again and again and again. Why? Because he saved me, isn't it? He saved me. He is the only hope for you tonight. I don't know how long you've got, but all I beg with you, I implore you, that there is life only for a look at the crucified one. There's a past paradise which we'll never return to. There's a present paradise which only the Christian can enter. But there's a future paradise, a paradise promised, which is the inheritance of each and every one of you who's called on the name of the Lord. Will you do that tonight? Why do you tarry? If you tarry till you're better, you will never come at all. You may have only a few days left. Before it's too late, do not lose paradise forever. I beg you. That's the whole reason why we're up here, you know. We want to preach to Jesus Christ and Him crucified, the way, the truth, the life, the paradise provider. And we ask this now in Jesus' precious name. Amen. We'll conclude by singing hymn number 277.
277 is the Lamb of God. He is the Lamb because He was sacrificed in our place. Lamb of God, Thou now art seated high upon Thy Father's throne, all Thy gracious work completed, all Thy mighty victory won. Every knee in heaven is bending to the Lamb for sinners. For you, my friends, we're as sinners here tonight. To the Lamb for sinners slain, every voice and harp is swelling. And what are they singing? Worthy is the Lamb to reign. Let's sing together. Father, thank you, Jesus, for saving our souls. Thank you, Jesus, for making us whole. We look forward to the promised paradise, which our parents lost, but Christ has won. 
Father, we pray that anyone who is a stranger to Christ would at least inquire, that they would ask, who is this Jesus? Who is he? Let me know more. Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And he can say this because he defeated death. He interrupted the darkness. He was risen on the third day, and he is seated in the heavenlies as we speak. And through his Spirit, he is even with us now. We worship you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with each and every one of you now and forevermore. Amen.